0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, good afternoon. Can you hear okay? Okay. So here we are at the second factor of the Eightfold Path. I hope you've all had a fruitful month practicing with right view. And are now inspired to move on to right intention. <laughs> so I'm very happy to welcome Meg Gowan to join in the teaching today. She began practicing in 1968 as a disciple of the Zen master Shunru Suzuki Roshi. After nine years of Zen training, she earned a master's degree in applied ecology and embarked on a career in nature conservation and human development. And she's raised a family in France where she lived for over 30 years. She's just moved back to join us here in California again. She's been practicing in the Theravada tradition and training with Jack Cornfield, Gill, and Joseph Goldstein. And in 2011, Jack Cornfield authorized Meg as a Buddhist teacher. And since then, she's been teaching meditation and leading retreats in Geneva, Switzerland, and she's also served as a teacher for the various online courses we have at IMC. So I'm very happy to have Meg with us here today. She'll be leading the first half, and then I'll be leading the second half. So, thank you. We'll start with the meditation that Meg will lead. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I have forgotten. I have forgotten our plan here. We had allowed a few minutes, thank you. <laughs> we had allowed a few minutes for a little bit of wrap up on right view and a little bit of if there are any outstanding questions or any reports that anyone would like to offer about what you've learned over the last month. So we'd love to hear, you know, how's the program been for the last month? How was it practicing and working with your mentor? Does anyone like to say something? And we will use the mics because this is being recorded for our Friends who are not local
1: I have a question um, which was one of my top three questions <laughs> um, with respect to right view or wise view um, uh, is that uh, the same as I'm a psychologist and is that the same as a, a belief system such as um, I'm no good or um, I'm alone in the world uh, is is that is is a a view? Is that the same?
0: Well, that's the kind of thing we mean by view. That's Obviously, those it. are not examples of wisest view. No, no, no. Of course, <laughs> right? No, I know are, what you mean. Are, no, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, Also, I would say that the Buddhist teaching is pointing to what we might call a kind of metta view with one T, -T M-E-T-A, a view about views, which is that we need to notice these deeply held views that we have that are not serving us. And then, you know, it's not about arriving at the right set of beliefs other than that it's wise to investigate these things and to use our suffering and the suffering that we might be causing as a guideline in how to see whether we're on the right track or not. So looking at suffering is fundamental, and examining our views is fundamental, and not getting hung up in beliefs and opinions.
1: So uncovering those belief systems would be uncovering um, that view that would be an unwholesome view or an unwise view that I would have. What I, I, in my profession would call a belief system. Right. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Right. Thank right. you. Thank you. Any other unanswered questions or just uh, comments about the program so far? <laughs> oh, okay. An extra copy of Bante Gunaratana's book. A wonderful. Any other? All right. We just wanted to leave a little time for uh, wrapping up the previous month in case there's any lingering misunderstandings because these factors do really, uh, you know, each one helps set the stage for the next one in a way that we'll talk about. Yes.
2: Hi, thank you. Um, I'm finding... Well, all sorts of views, and I'm feeling like it's a full time um, assignment, full time activity to look for views, and I'm and I'm feeling worried about moving on to more. Like I'm not ready for (laughs) (laughs) a month. Wasn't long enough, (laughs) Um, and I'm having such a. I mean, it's so it's it's so. um, I mean, sometimes freeing to see the views. and, and so I'm wondering how how in the world I'm going to
0: do another thing, too. Well, that's a great question. And it's so important to hold this. This experience is not like a course, you know, where you master lesson one and then you master lesson two and then there's the final and you're, you know, you're done. These are like planting seeds for lifetime practices. And so you're not going to see all your views and and it's. Just notice how you're holding it. You know, is it making you worried and frantic, or is it oh something interesting? You know, so it's like one more way to be interested in what's going on for the rest of your life is one way to look at it. Not like you're going to finish this month or last week or anything like that. You know, so views are endless. I'm I i do not know if that's part of any Zen vow, but <laughs> 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 views are endless. I vowed to notice them. <laughs> so
2: Glad it's can not kind of just hold me it that
0: way. <laughs> okay.
2: I think that's a great question, and I've heard it come up uh, in other courses uh, on the Eightfold Path before, and it's something that's quite common that people just, you know, it's, there's so much, and it's so rich, and, and I've even seen people get to the end of an Eightfold Path course and just want to do it again, you know, and, and that's actually what happens is that we just keep, we keep walking this path, so you can feel comfortable with that.
0: Anything else? Okay.
2: Okay, we'll have a little bit of sitting meditation. So find a comfortable and upright position. And you, maybe you can sit with a sense of nobility, sitting like the Buddha that you really are. Begin by taking a few deep breaths and releasing any obvious tension that you may have. And cultivating a sense of being grounded. Bring the attention to the face and see if there are any small muscles in the face that you can release. And the shoulders and the arms all the way down to the fingertips. And now bring your attention to your chest, your heart. Let them open. Belly and pelvis, and down through the legs, and now bringing the attention to the breath. See if you can breathe into the whole body. And out from the whole body. It can be very useful to begin a sitting by setting our intention for that sitting. So we can try that. And let's begin by just simply setting the intention to come to rest. To rest in the breath, rest in this present moment. And trusting that it's enough just to be here, right here. And now deepening our intention to be present, let's see if we can bring a quality of compassion to our awareness. Opening the heart and allowing for a sense of acceptance, yes, but also kindness compassion with whatever our experience is. How does our experience of the breath changed when we cultivate a feeling of kindness? What's it like to experience wandering mind when we've set the intention for self-compassion? So for the rest of this sitting, just see if you can be guided by your intention for compassion. So, welcome. It's great to see all these faces here. So, in beginning our exploration of right intention, I'd like to begin by uh, looking at what it means. And when I taught this course a couple of years ago, uh, some of my students were um, puzzled by the various translations that they encountered uh, in the readings um, what's often translated in English by Gill and by uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi, for example, as right intention, uh, Jack Cornfield will say wise intention, and Joseph Goldstein will say right thought, and Kunaratana says skillful thinking. So, you know, we've got right intention, wise intention, right thought, skillful thinking. And so it's maybe useful to take a little bit of a look at uh, the Pali words. And this second step of the Eightfold Path in Pali is called Samma So Samma literally means togetherness or uh, being connected to something as, as one. And some of the English translations of Samma include right or perfect, consummate, whole, complete. And when we say right for the steps of the Eightfold Path, I'm sure you know we don't mean right as as in right and wrong. Um, We mean right in the sense uh, of wise rather than deluded. Right in the sense of that which leads towards freedom rather than that which leads to suffering. Or right as eminently appropriate, like the right tool for the right job. So this way of thinking of right does include both wise and skillful, as Jack Cornfield and Bhante Gunaratata emphasize. And then sankhapa is generally translated as intention, but literally it does mean thinking. And it also includes attitude. So the right intention that the Buddha teaches has to do with how we live in this world, how we live with others, and how we live with ourselves. And the Buddha stressed that our intentions really matter. And in the task that we're on, the path that we're on of becoming free, our motivations are really key because they're the motor behind everything we do. So Bhikkhu Bodhi provides a good clarification. He explains that right intention refers specifically to the purposive aspect of mental activity, the cognitive aspect being covered by the first path factor, right view. So right view and right intention are grouped together as the wisdom factors of the Eightfold Path. And these cognitive and purposive functions of the mind very closely intertwine and interact. And as uh, Chris said earlier, in fact, right view sets the stage for right intention. In that when we have a penetrating view of the nature of existence, this leads to a restructuring of our values and it gives us a new vision or new intentions. And right intention, which is about our motivation, is the linchpin that connects right view with our actions, which are the next three steps of the Eightfold Path, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. So it's really good to remember that the direction we take in our lives always comes back to the intentions that we generate. And in many ways, uh, right intention or wise intention is really the key to practice. And I I think that intention is maybe the single most powerful tool that we have in our toolkits as practitioners. Joseph Goldstein likes to say, everything rests on the tip of motivation. Motivation. And the reason that intention is so powerful is that it determines what we do in every moment of our lives. And what we do in this moment plants the seeds of who we become in the next. And this is the ancient law of karma. So what we do, the choices we make, moment after moment, really matter. And findings in uh, neuroplasticity, in contemporary neuroscience bear this out that our brains are actually changing in the course of our lives which is not true for our other organs for example the more we practice kindness throughout the day the more those structures of the brain that are involved with caring for others they de- they physically develop and thicken and get stronger so if you think about it this the the this truth that people are researchers are finding about neuroplasticity is immensely hopeful because what it means is you know we can change who we are we're not condemned to be you know what our set point was uh, when we were born Um, and it, it means that we're literally changing who we are moment after moment by what we choose to do so it's immensely useful to explore what our intentions are and then to cultivate the intentions that we set. Both our deepest intentions, but also small, everyday intentions. So right intention is the second step of the Buddha's core teaching of the Noble Eightfold Path. And the Eightfold Path is the path that Buddha offered for one single purpose he said anybody care to venture what that purpose was why did the Buddha teach the eightfold path yes that's right that's it he said that was the one and only reason that he teaches the eightfold path so that we become free of suffering and so all beings become free of suffering and he so he taught that what we have to do to become free of suffering is to practice the Eightfold Path. This is the path that leads us down that road, and and it's our roadmap. So traditionally, the Eightfold Path is divided into three components. First come the two mental steps, right speech and right action. Then we have the three ethical steps, right speech, right action, right livelihood. And it's only when we have this foundation in right view and right intention plus our ethical bearings in right speech, right action, and right livelihood, it's only then that we begin the three steps of the path that have to do with meditation, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. So right view is the most elementary, and as you saw last month, it boils down to seeing the validity of the four noble truths. The path begins when we see the truth of suffering, when we understand that suffering is caused by clinging, and when we have faith that we can end suffering by letting go. Of course, it's easier said than done. And in my own practice, I've often thought that... uh, right intention is perhaps the most important step on the path because it's the engine behind everything else. And it's what enables us to practice all the other steps of the Eightfold Path. It's our motivation. And it's by cultivating wise intention that we can transform everything else in our lives. And our intentions are transformative for the simple reason that they have consequences. So it's important to know that how we respond to each and every moment of our experience will depend primarily on our intention, whether it's conscious or not. And we can deeply transform how we are with ourselves, how we are with others, how we are with the world, by bringing our intentions from the subconscious to the conscious level, clarifying them, and deciding what intentions we really want to live by. So with freedom from suffering as the purpose of the Eightfold Path, the Buddha identified three intentions that must be avoided at all costs if we want to be free from suffering. Number one, lust, or addictive behavior. Number two, ill will, wishing someone harm. And number three, cruelty, doing harm. So these three intentions, lust, ill will, and cruelty, are absolute obstacles to being at peace with oneself and to becoming free. So the Buddha defined right intention as the opposite of these three. And we'll take them in the reverse order. So, right intention is first and foremost doing no harm. It's a profound sense of nonviolence. And expressed positively, right intention is the intention to be compassionate. That's the opposite of cruelty. Next, the opposite of ill will is goodwill. So, right intention is the intention to infuse all of our actions with loving-kindness. And then the opposite of lust or addiction is renunciation. So rather than being consumed with desire and clinging, right intention is the intention to let go. And what comes with this letting go is a certain well-being, a kind of peace, uh, even joy. So our intention to let go is to let go into that kind of peacefulness. And if we want a peaceful life, a life of well-being and ease, then what we need to practice is compassion, loving-kindness, and letting go. And these are all wonderful things to practice. Um, practicing compassion, loving kindness, and letting go is, is really enjoyable because it ends up making us happy. It's a, it's a key to happiness. So because our intentions are so powerful, it's, it's very useful to explore them at different levels. And a fundamental practice is to try to articulate what our deepest intention is. Gil tells the story that for many years he asked himself, you know, what is my deepest intention? And then he would ask again and he would, you know, like peeling the end and go deeper and deeper and deeper. Is our deepest intention to be free of suffering or to free others of suffering? In the Zen tradition, uh, practitioners recite the Bodhisattva vow, which is essentially committing oneself to a practice that seems to go far beyond what's humanly possible. So the goals are so high that all you can do is just keep trying. And, but it's the sincerity, the effort, that becomes the practice. So with your permission, I'll, I'll recite to you the Bodhisattva and If there are any other Zen folks who would like to join me, feel free. But, so... Sentient beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Desires are inexhaustible. I vow to put an end to them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. The Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. So even though at this point in our practice perhaps we don't see how we can possibly attain the Buddha's way, still we vow to do it. So the outcomes are beyond us, but the intention is all ours. Taking refuge is another way of clarifying and expressing our intention. So in taking refuge in the Buddha, we take refuge... In our own capacity for awakening, we, f- we find that as our true home, that we actually have this capacity to awaken. In taking refuge in the Dharma, we take refuge in the teachings of the Buddha, but we also take refuge in the teaching of the present moment, whatever that may be. And that's often a very challenging teacher. And in taking refuge in the Sangha, we find safety together with all beings. So taking refuge is a way that we can clarify our intention, knowing where our true home is. And there there are many ways that we can cultivate right intention. Perhaps the most fundamental is vowing to do no harm. So I'll read to you from uh, the Buddha's words in the Sutta Nipata. He says... As I am, so are others. As others are, so am I. Having thus identified self and others, harm no one, nor have them harmed. And we literally have thousands of opportunities every day to practice doing no harm. And for another uh, simple way, maybe a a counterintuitive way that we can culture intention, which is not mental, I'll read you some words Uh, again from the Buddha, but this time from the Satipatthana Sutta. He says, There's one thing that when cultivated and regularly practiced leads to deep spiritual intention, to peace, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to vision and knowledge, to a happy life here and now, and to the culmination of wisdom and awakening. And what is that one thing? It is mindfulness centered on the body. It's a really simple practice. So if we take the Buddha at his word, if we practice mindfulness of the body, it will lead to deep spiritual intention. Another way that we can cultivate right intention is um, connecting with the precepts. And in making choices along our path, it's very important to ask ourselves whether or not they will serve awakening and freedom, or whether they lead us further down the path of suffering. And our best answers are found by honestly looking into our intentions. And then another approach to connecting um, with intention is to is to look at the heart as a form of intention. So there's a, a bodhisattva aspiration that's very beautiful and powerful, which is that may all circumstances serve to awaken compassion. That's, that's an example of, of a vow or an intention. So one thing you can do is to investigate how your heart feels as you offer to care for your own suffering. You feel sincere and open and tender Do you feel mechanical or blocked or maybe numb somewhere? If you feel distant and disconnected, then without any judgment at all, just simply affirm your intention to be present and kind and continuing offering these gestures of care. And as long as you have the intention to be compassionate, even if you can't be compassionate yet, And you can trust that with time, your heart will open and it will naturally find its way. And it's so important in this practice to forgive ourselves for being imperfect. And and forgiveness is is not easy for many of us. We can't will ourselves to forgive, Again, it's, forgiveness is not a product of effort, but of opening. And this, is, again, is why the intention to forgive is key. So your intention to forgive is the seed of forgiveness. And just like with compassion, this willingness will gradually open your heart and at some point forgiveness will blossom if it's not, if it's not here yet. Some of you practice loving-kindness meditation, repeating uh, loving-kindness phrases. And if, you've, if you find that this becomes mechanical, or um, just don't worry. It's, it's your intention to practice loving-kindness that counts. And you can just trust that this practice will take you where you need to go. The heart has its own natural seasons of being open and closed. And what matters the most is the intention to awaken loving-kindness. So we don't know what the future is going to bring. But what we can know is what intention we bring to each moment. And Joanna Macy has some interesting things to say about this. She says, uh, Uncertainty, when accepted, sheds a bright light on the power of intention. That is what you can count on. Not the outcome, but the motivation you bring, the vision you hold, the compass setting you choose to follow. So although we can't count on the outcome, if our intention is wise, we can count on that. And the intentions we set, whether consciously or unconsciously, set the stage for the rest of the Eightfold Path. It's our intention that determines how we speak, how we act, how we earn our living, how we make effort, and how we practice mindfulness and concentration. So you can play with this. So as a way of cultivating right intention, try exploring what your deepest intention is, and then keep trying to go deeper. There's not a single area of our lives where we can't bring wise intention to bear. So we can look for creative ways to live out our vow, to be compassionate, to practice loving kindness, and to let go. So as we begin to investigate and then to articulate our intentions, it's good to ask, are our intentions ones that are supportive of others? Are they supportive of us? Are they helpful? Are they helpful to us? Are they helpful to others? What good do they have in mind? One thing I love that that Gil emphasizes is that paying attention to our intention is a profound way of caring for ourselves, of respecting ourselves, and even loving ourselves. So one of the best things we can do for ourselves is to live by our deepest intentions. So the take-home message is that In everything that we do, we have a choice in the intention that motivates us. That our intentions are a very great consequence. That moment after moment, they determine who we are, and they shape how our life unfolds and who we become. So, thank you for listening.
0: thank you Meg so now we'd like to have a breakout discussion session as we do at these meetings Um, so let's get into groups of four just find a convenient group of four no we're pretty large how about five make a make a group of five and if if you aren't finding a group walk toward the front and then a group of orphans might form in the front so uh and we may need to have a group of four here and there okay so get into groups and then i'll tell you what we're going to do Six is okay, unless there's a group of four somewhere who's uh, missing someone. Who needs another person? Okay, there's there's a group of four up there. Just we'll even out a little so that it helps everyone have time to share something. so this question is going to ask you to reflect on something in your experience so i'll read the question and then we'll sit for a minute so that you have a chance to think about what you might want to share and then please go around in a circle and give everyone a chance to reflect on what was heard and when it's not your turn you can practice mindful listening i don't know how many of you were here this morning but Gil gave a beautiful talk on listening So that's also uh, a wise intention, to just listen to what's taken in. And then we'll have a couple minutes at the end to discuss what came up out of what people shared. Okay, so the question is, think of a time when your intention going into a situation made a positive difference in your experience during and or after the event. How did setting your intention benefit you? you and the situation okay sometime when when you were able to think of when you were able to have an intention when you were aware of your intention going into a situation and it made a difference Okay, so let's start if you're having trouble deciding who to start with you can have the person with the longest hair start or anyone who volunteers (laughs) okay just finish up please make sure everyone's had a chance to speak and start to make your way back to the group The other mic. Where's our other mic? Our yellow-headed mic? there it is. Okay, good. Just just keep it and see who needs it here. Okay, would someone be willing to share a little bit of what came out of that group? Any common themes in your group? Or questions or anything? Someone? Good. Thank
2: you. Um, I think the common, common theme was you can set an attention, but then if you cling to that attention, it can make it worse. And so the idea of you can set an attention, but if it, if it doesn't stick or if you find yourself not meeting your intention, that you can always go back to it. That it doesn't, you can set the intention, but the best course always doesn't doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Just remembering that to reset your intention and and not to cling to setting the intention. And that it can become a deeper experience next time, every time you do it. Beautiful, yes.
0: Yes, we, we set an intention and then reality unfolds and we can stay, <laughs> yeah. stay uh, dynamically attuned to what is our deeper and deeper intentions, you know, that don't control the result, but they can affect how much we suffer from it. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else?
2: Someone over there? Thanks. We talked about lust and how that's not an understanding lust as beyond a sensual lust, but how that can, can encompass many behaviors and how to identify when we're in it. And one person in our group said she could feel that in her body when she's in it, and she can automatically take a pause, and she know she knows then not to take the next step in something extreme. And some of uh, the other people in my group, we just kind of pondered how you recognize lust and what different
0: ways that affects our life. Beautiful. Thank you. I think we get to spend a whole week on that question uh, coming up. So, uh, you know, with a broad understanding, as you were just describing, of what that means and what that's involved. So, great. Thank you. Any other You can repeat what was said in your group. It's just nice to hear from people. Anybody have anything to offer? Yes, thank you. I, I think
1: what was the interesting thing was um, it's uh, going back to your intention, um, and I likened it a lot to going back to my breath. So I will lose my intention, despite my best intentions, and then it, and it's going like going back to the breath. It's okay, this is what I'm doing. And what really struck a chord is when you said that Going through the motions, and you need to have that faith because I have a specific difficult situation that arises three times a week, and that intention's always there. And sometimes I'm just thinking, "Oh, holy hell, I'm not doing it this time." <laughs> but I have to have that faith that I'm going to have that good experience of that intention bringing me through that situation again.
0: So it was very helpful. So it's like going, kind of going back to the breath and meditation. Beautiful. Thank you. Behind.
1: In our group, one of the things we talked about is when we set an intention and uh, we carried through with it, uh, that it was a very positive experience um, for us uh, in our bodies and just the good feeling that we had. Thank you. Great. Kind of like being true to yourself. Pardon me? Kind of like
2: being true to yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. Anything else? Okay, well let's take about a 10 minute break. Can use the three bathrooms back there. Have a drink of water and we'll resume in about 2:10. Thanks. Oh, okay. Well, then we'll resume about uh 2:25 or I'll ring a bell when we're resuming about 10 minutes.